Okay, now, so as I said, let's uh, let's get back to it and dig into the text here. So, first, odds and ends. All right. Where in the first and second versions it is said that some of the hobbits at the party came from the other side of the Shire, it is now said that some of them did not even live in that country. Changed to, or did not even live in that county, changed to in that Shire, and in that Shire was retained in the fourth version. The use of that, rather than the, suggests that the later use, cf. the prologue to Lord of the Rings 14, hobbits named it the Shire, as the region of the authority of their thane, was only in the process of emergence. I just wanted to sort of note this as we went past, right? That this is a rather interesting moment, right? The, the idea of the Shire as the name of the Hobbit's country, right, is something that everybody takes for granted. And it's fun to see when exactly that emerged because it did emerge at it. Whoa, sorry. It did emerge at a particular time, right? Um, it did not come out of nowhere. It did not, uh, uh, it, it, it didn't emerge from the very beginning. It's in other words, we can see where it came from, right? Um, some of them did not even live in that County, changed to some of them did not even live in that shire. And it seems fairly clear where that stuff stands, right? It's very much like the kind of naming convention that he had in uh, uh, in The Hobbit, though it's not even to the point of a proper name, right? He's using the word shire very generically here. In fact, as we can see quite literally in this passage, as a synonym to county, right? Um, so he didn't have a particular concept in mind. He's, he's, he's here actively waffling between the word Shire and the word County. Um, he seems to have settled on Shire. I don't know why exactly. Why did he prefer Shire to County? Maybe, I don't know, maybe because County is a slightly more modern word, right? Um, you know, suggests a more kind of bureaucratic division of things. Wild speculation on my part. No idea why he ended up choosing Shire instead of County as the synonym for that concept. Um, but this is ultimately where it came from. So we don't have a sense of, of the Shire yet, right? Now, when he does get there, of course, again, as I said before, as I just mentioned, think of the naming conventions in The Hobbit, right? Almost everything that's named in English, anyway, in The Hobbit is simply a description of the it's like a, a common noun made into a proper noun, right? The river is called the water. Hobbiton is the ho- Hobbiton, the town of hobbits, right? Um, which is mentioned briefly. Um, you have bywater, right? Which is called that because it's by the water, right? Which is the river. Uh, you have the hill. You have the mountain, even, right? You have dale because it's in the valley. You have Rivendell because it's a valley with a river in it, right? I mean, all of the, almost every single name uh, that's given to, um, uh, that's 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 given to anything uh, in the Hobbit. Uh, you know, the Wood Elves, the Elven King, right? With the exception of Esgaroth, right? Esgaroth, one of the very few examples of something which is not just a regular common name. Um, though Lake Town, of course, is certainly plenty, uh, plenty uh, common enough in that same way. That's the way that he named things in The Hobbit. And we can see the idea that he's just using the word Shire here generically, and that eventually that's going to make its way into the Shire, right? Um, 
both as a way of changing the way that hobbits think of themselves, right? They define the entire place that they live as the Shire, right? Um, rather than considering there to be separate shires within their land. Um, it's actually interesting, because on the one hand, my first impulse is to say that that idea of identifying their land collectively as the shire seems to be a move towards uh, parochialism, but I actually think it's the move, the more I think about it, the more I think it's a move in the other direction, right? That is to say, they see, they understand, um, or at one point understood, their land to be a shire, a county, of a larger realm, right? Um, it's their shire, right? Um, it's their county, uh, their their little their little subregion. Um, but instead of imagining the the land that they live in as you know the only land or the only land that matters, and it just it divided up into into shires that they care about, thinking of their own land as a shire itself actually seems um, seems more. Uh, 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 seems to place themselves geographically and historically in a way which is interesting and which it is not shocking that it hasn't developed yet, right? Because uh, we haven't really seen that uh, for the Hobbits yet. Um, good. And you're right, uh, Kate and Josh both are right also that Shire uh, is also a nice word because it's a, it's an English word, right? As, as opposed to county, which has uh, foreign roots, right? It has a French derivation. Um, so yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, uh, you would certainly, you, uh, would certainly imagine that. Um, good. So anyway, I just wanted, that's one of the things I wanted to point out. Second thing I wanted to point out, uh, which is similar is I wanted to look at the way these place names are beginning to, uh, to come thinking about this naming convention from the Hobbit. Look at how he does these things at the beginning here in the Lord of the Rings. Remember, this is still from chapter one from the long expected party stuff. My father first wrote here, the brandy bucks of Wood Eaton on the other side of the Shire on the edge of Buckwood. A dubious region. Now, I imagine, by the way, Shire. Notice it's it's uh, it's not capitalized, right? So, on the other side of the Shire, I mean the other side of the county. That is their county, not a different Shire, right? Um, on the edge of Buckwood, a dubious region. He first changed, certainly at the time of writing, the name of the Brandybuck stronghold from Wood Eaton, a village in the Cherwell Valley near Oxford, to Bury Underwood, where Bury is the very common English place name element derived from Old English Burig, the dative of Burg, fortified place or town. Then he introduced the name of the river, replaced Bury Underwood by Buckland, and replaced Buckwood by the Old Forest. Um, okay, so what do we? What can we kind of see here? Trying to untangle every, you know, every change, uh, you know, gets a little complicated. And of course, I'm not trying to fit all of these changes into one kind of uniform narrative, as I, I, I doubt that would be sort of at all true to the original, really. But, um, but anyway, so several of these things kind of interest me, right? First, the idea that Wood Eaton is the name that he picks for them, and as Christopher points out, that's a an actual English town name, right? And that's interesting to me. And on the one hand, Wood Eaton, it's not like it's a very distinctive English town name, right? Um, that is, I'm sure, the people in the greater Wood Eaton region, maybe even in the greater Oxford region, uh, might have heard of it or know of it. But at the best, it would be a kind of an inside joke, right? It's not just a famous English town or something like that um, that would, you know, make the whole thing very distinctly English. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it betrays a very close um, connection to the English countryside, right? Um, that he is thinking in very English terms. Uh, about um, 
Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't uh, advance the slide there. Okay, there we are. My apologies. Um, okay, I think we got that there. Excellent. Sorry. Thanks for that. Um, see, I guess you guys going to have to keep up with me here tonight. i got to try to track multiple things. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway, okay. Um, so... So again, so he, he's, he, he departs from the, I'm connecting it to the English countryside, right? The fact that he had that impulse is just kind of worthy of, I don't want to go anywhere too far with that, right? But it just seems worth noting as we go past. Uh, and then uh, the wood, right, what, what came to be called the old forest is originally called buckwood, right? That is the forest named after the brandy bucks. Simple enough. Um, the change from buckwood to the old forest is interesting to me as well, right? It's interesting because it's a move back in the direction of the Hobbit, right? I mean, Old Forest is a classic Hobbity, you know, like you know, the Hobbit style proper noun of something, right? I mean, what do you call it? It's the forest, right? Which forest? The Old Forest, right? That's the one. Um, so it's actually less distinctive, less sort of localized than Buckwood is. Um, and maybe it's because he had shifted from Wood Eaton to Buckland, right? Um, Bury Underwood is interesting as well. So, right, so we can see three different movements there, right? First, uh, a name which is the name of an English town and presumably whose name he liked, right? You know, Wood Eaton. Um, it's got wood in it, right? So it's, it's, it's right next to the wood and that all makes sense. I'm sure he thought that that name would work, obviously, and that's why he used it. But then he changed it to Bury Underwood and that is that Hobbit-style proper noun, right? Like the hill or underhill, right? Um, it's uh, Bury Underwood, the town under the wood, the, the town by the eaves of the wood is what he named it. But then he changes it to Buckland. So he wants, clearly, he wants, you know, something here to be named for 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 the family, right? For the brandy bucks. Um, at first it was the wood, then he decided, no, it really should be the town. Um, but, and after that initial sort of false start in which he gives that English town name to the town, after that he's pretty well settled on the, the, the two alternatives are a Buckland-related name and a uh, Hobbit-style proper noun. Um, so it's just interesting to see that... Uh, that his 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 mind was still still really seems to be very much in the um, in the th- these kinds of naming conventions. It's just another way of of sort of seeing he's still very much in Hobbit mode, as we saw throughout chapter one, right? Throughout all four versions of the long expected party. Um. Yeah. Good. Good. Um. Okay. Uh. Let's. Uh. One more. One more tidbit. Uh, and I, and this is just one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, Christopher Tolkien's autobiographical note, um, the best biographical note ever. So you guys will remember, I mean, I've talked about this before. Um, or, you know, we have talked together about Christopher Tolkien's tone in his note writing, right? Um, and how cautious he is about revealing any kind of autobiographical stuff about himself, about his father, right? I mean, it's one of the things that 
before you sat down to the history of Middle-earth series, you might kind of guess, like, oh, the fact that it's edited by his son is super cool, right? Because he probably will have, like, personal insights into this and can give us some, like, personal background and color that we wouldn't be able to get anywhere else, right? That's awesome. Uh, No, not so much, right? We see him avoid, like, the plague doing that. And we've, uh, you know, spoken in in this, in our History of Middle-earth series on several occasions about Uh, examples of times when he's gone what looks like miles out of his way to uh to avoid that kind of thing um so this footnote just absolutely (laughs) like jumped up and smacked me in the face when i read it it is absolutely remarkable because a wholly unprovoked um so because so okay so he, he reveals the fact that the bingos was the name of the family of bears that his little sister had. So Christopher Tolkien is the third of, of Tolkien's four children. He's the, the third child and the, and the youngest son. And his, his, his younger sister, Priscilla, is the youngest. So he and Priscilla are the youngest two in the family. And Priscilla had this family of bears, which are called the Bingos. And uh, he refers to, I believe it was Humphrey Carpenter, who said that the name Bingo uh, for the protagonist of The New Hobbit was inspired by the Bingos, the, the, the teddy bear family that, uh, that Priscilla had. And Christopher c- commences to give us this wholly unprovoked and entirely remarkable note. Uh, to that effect, he says, I find it difficult to believe this. Yet, it is so, yet if it is so, the coincidence is strange. If Bingo Baggins did get his name from this source, I can only suppose that the demonic character composed of monomaniac religious despotism and a lust for destruction through high explosive of the chief Bingo, not to mention that of his appalling wife, by which my sister and I now remember them, developed somewhat later. This is just fantastic. I, I can't really say enough in praise of this note. I have very little commentary uh, of this note, but I could not possibly pass this note by <laughs> without reading it. Um, uh, so apparently, the chief couple of the Bingo Teddy... They, they, there, was, uh, there was backstory invented for the teddy bears of his sister's collection, and I... <laughs> they apparently were an odd bunch of teddy bears specializing with a demonic character composed of monomaniac religious despotism and a lust for destruction through high explosive. Um, uh, yeah, I know, Josh, right? It's like, what exactly what, exactly what was the, the childhood play that went on in, uh, uh, in, the, in the Tolkien household? It's... Um, it's kind of it's kind of fun actually to imagine that um but um but yeah yana it is really cool that he goes into his and his sister's own subcreation and it's a strange kind of subcreation i mean in fact if anything i was reminded of um maybe because i i've i've read it relatively relatively recently um, but to the the recounting of some of the uh, the boxing stories uh, that C.S. Lewis talks about in Surprised by Joy, when he he tells some of the stories of of the uh, the 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 subcreated world of himself and his brother Warney when they were kids, uh, and you know some of the plots and characters of those of those stories, it kind of reminded me a little bit um, of that. So uh, uh, so yeah yeah it's um it's it's kind of interesting. Um, 
<laughs> Josh is suggesting that the combination of monomaniac religious despotism with destruction through high explosives uh, sounds like an anticipation of uh, of the Dune novels. I hear you, Josh. That's 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 plausible, and that sounds like a paper. Uh, anyway. Like I said, I don't have much insightful to say about this other than, wow. And I just wanted to appreciate it because, I mean, hey, Christopher Tolkien opened up. And and by the way, you notice what this does, right? He's not disagreeing with Carpenter, right? It's like, maybe it was. He, you know, he has no absolute evidence to adduce to the contrary. That, you know, to say, no, no, Carpenter was wrong. Dad totally did not take the name of Bingo uh, from our teddy bears. Um, but yet he makes a fairly good case for the fact that it was unlikely that if his father, uh, I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, and again, this is just sort of another thing in support of perhaps, and maybe even this was one of Christopher Tolkien's intentions in sharing this. Tolkien thought that knowledge of the, you know, the you know, biographical knowledge of the author was not really much help when it came to uh, uh, to, to interpreting somebody's work and understanding somebody's work. Um, and uh, maybe Christopher is sort of indirectly supporting that thesis by revealing this, right? Because, of course, it's the kind of detail that somebody like Carpenter would seize upon. And it's, it's hard. I mean, if you're a literary critic, right. And you, and, and you discover this kind of fact, right. His daughter had a, 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 a family of teddy bears called the bingos. And now here's the father making up this, uh, this new story whose protagonist is named bingo. Right. I mean, that seems inescapable. Right. And you would want to make hay out of that in some sense. Right. But, uh, but no, actually, that's uh, it's Christopher Tolkien makes at least an interesting argument um, that uh, it certainly does not necessarily seem, or at least if it is the case, it's not nearly as simplistic, uh, or rather, th- the conclusions that we might draw about it are not really as uh, as simplistic as we might think, right? As we might want to to uh, to say. Um, so that I think is is kind of an interesting touch here, an interesting sort of side effect of this. Don't, um, don't be too quick to jump to conclusions. Um, and of course, I would, all, I would further add that the conclusion that Christopher Tolkien's information here would seem to prompt us to resist is precisely one that I bet would annoy his dad, right? That is to say, um, I think Tolkien would be annoyed at the idea that his... Um, uh, that his protagonist, right, that the name of his protagonist is simply adopted from his daughter's teddy bear, which sort of betrays the, which would betray the fact that he was really intending this for children, right? That it was really juvenile in some sense, right? It was, you know, from, you know, clearly inspired by the play world of his daughter, right? And so therefore, and you know, thereby undermining the point that he has tried to make repeatedly about fairy tales and children and that kind of thing, right? I mean, if somebody wanted to kind of take that and say, "See, look, the Lord of the Rings is juvenile at heart," right? Um, Christopher Tolkien is perhaps providing some reason to think that uh, maybe, maybe not so. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, all right. Enough of that. Let's move on to the big plans. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, Nancy's asking, I wonder how serious he really was about Bingo as a name, or if maybe he knew he'd change it later. See, Nancy, the thing is, um, I 
I don't have a hard time believing that he uh, was serious about bingo um, for a couple reasons. First of all, why wouldn't he be? Right? I mean, we all think that bingo is kind of a dumb name, right? But isn't that an American thing? Right? You know, I mean, I, I can't imagine Tolkien had had like bingo was his name o in his head, right? Um, or would have noticed it. And yeah, as Josh and Yana both point out, he did stick with it for quite a while. So it, it's, uh, it's certainly not just a temporary thing. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's, um, and, and Nancy's saying it's just the teddy bears that make me think so. Maybe, but see, that's, the, that, 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 that's also the thing. I mean, it's, it makes perfect linguistic sense, right? I, I especially remember Bingo first emerged as Bilbo's son. So Bungo, Bilbo, Bingo makes perfect sense, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of his father and his grandfather's names. Um, and it fits in perfectly well with the other Hobbit names that we've seen. Now, are the other Hobbit names kind of silly? Yeah, sure they are, right? Um, but the fact that their name was, names were a little bit silly doesn't necessarily seem to argue against it. Um, yeah. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, was he even aware? You know, did he even know? D- uh, did, uh, you know, about the bingos? You know, could uh, uh, that, the, I don't, you know, who knows which direction the arrow really goes there, right? I don't really know. Um, but, um, yeah. Anyway, okay. Let's move on to the plants. All right. So, uh, so, so, so we're going to get into Tolkien's sketch notes. Now, the important thing here, the sort of the general principle to keep in mind, is that uh, Tolkien, Tolkien did this a lot. Um, when he, you know, this is this, this is how he wrote. He would sketch out uh, sort of some plot outlines, tr- you know, sort of projections forward of what he thought might happen. And then he would start writing. And often when he actually started writing it out, um, it would diverge and end up in a different place and he'd write a new set of notes. Um, Sometimes he writes a set of notes which itself turns into a draft, right? That happens sometimes. Um, So this is him sitting down and trying to sketch out, where do we go from here? Um, And we have the testimony of his letters uh, to say that um, he didn't really know where he was going. Right, that he he did not. He wrote chapter one, but he wasn't really feeling it. Right, he didn't have a clear sense of where to go. He had produced this first chapter because he he was trying to follow through on the publisher's request to write a sequel. He expressed to the publisher several times that he didn't really feel like he had any material on hand. He didn't really know what to do with it, but he was given it, you know, the the, the old college try. And uh, you know, we saw through the drafts of chapter one, and especially in the early drafts of chapter one, how intimately it was connected back to the, how much he kept kind of pushing it back to the Hobbit and establishing that. And it was very sequelish as we were talking about last time that was happening a little bit less in the later revisions. Um, and we did get those hints of other ideas kind of beginning to lurk by the end of the chapter. So let's look at, um, let's look at some of these, some of these ideas. So, okay. First, here we go. Bilbo goes off with three Took nephews, Odo, Frodo, and Drogo. Changed to Odo, Drodo, and Frogo. Frodo. He has a really, really important substantive change right there. Um, he has only a small bag of money. They walk all night east. Adventures, troll-like. 
witch house on the way to Rivendell. Elrond again, added, by advice of Gandalf, a tale in Elrond's house. Where is G? asks Odo. Said I was old and foolish enough now to take care of myself, said B, but I dare say he will turn up. He is apt to. Okay, now, we can tell this projection belongs to about draft two, right? Um, because draft two is the last one where we still have, remember, we had, in the four drafts that we looked at last time, the first two had Bilbo still as the protagonist, or at least as the party thrower, and the, in the third one, he is replaced by Bingo, so he departs, and then later on, Bingo is the one who throws the long-expected party, and that remains the same in both the third and the fourth drafts. So, um, we don't seem to have any Bingo on the horizon here, and you'll recall at the very end of draft two, there was a hint that he had told a couple other hobbits about his plan to depart, right? There was that hint that he was going to have other hobbit companions. That seems to be Odo, Frodo, and Drogo. Okay, so so what's he going to do? What, what, is this, what is this story that, um, that he's going to be, that, that he was kind of thinking of here? Well, again, notice how sequely it is, right? How much he is continuing to just walk in the footsteps of the hobbit. Indeed, he even seems to, to recognize that, right? Um, adventures, troll-like. And by troll-like adventures, I am... My my reading of that is that he means adventures like Bilbo's adventure with the trolls, right? So, you know, he's going to have an adventure which is in some sense like chapter two of uh, The Hobbit, right? Except it's not going to be trolls this time. This time it's going to be a witch house on the way to Rivendell. Um, but again, so he's going to have an adventure, kind of like the adventures uh, with the trolls, on the way to Rivendell. So, like, chapter one is going to be the long-expected party, chapter two is going to be the correspondent to roast mutton, chapter three is going to be another rest, whether it's short or long, who knows, right? But that same pattern of going to Rivendell and having a, uh, a serious, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, an earnest but uh, comical adventure along the way uh, is the basic projection that he has here, right? And it's going to be a witch house, um, which is really interesting, and I don't know what to make of that. I mean, of course, we have lots of, uh, of, of examples of witch houses and things like that in, you know, fairy tales and fairy tale tradition. Um, in fact, I'm, I, I, it's, I, I have to admit, I have to confess myself disappointed that we never got a witch house, right? Um, because I would have been really interested to see what Tolkien did with a witch house, actually. Uh, you know, that is a very, a very traditional um, fairy tale motif. And fascinating that um, he thought of going there, and kind of too bad that he didn't go there. I would have been very interested to see. Um, of course, they are going to find a strange house with mysterious denizens in the middle of a wood, right? Uh, mysterious denizens of preternatural origin and, and all that kind of thing, right? But instead of the witch house, we're going to get uh, Tom Bombadil. See, yeah, Jared Lynn says Tom Bombadil's house is kind of like a reverse witch house. Uh, yeah, in a sense. I mean, right, it's, it's, it's exactly, Nick, it's a good witch house. Um, uh, though that hardly seems fair to Goldberry uh, or to Tom. Um, but um, but anyway, so but the big picture, overall shape, still very hobbitish, right? But what about Gandalf? 
right? Gandalf isn't there. Gandalf is the missing element uh, that we uh, that we don't get. Now, remember, Gandalf had reappeared in version two. In version two of the long-expected party, that was when we got Gandalf and his fireworks. That was when um, Tolkien began bringing in what I called those the, the the foreign elements, the outside of the Shire elements, where Bilbo's party was not just a local, you know, a big party by local standards, but a but it was it was not only a big party but an outlandish party, right? Um, where there were dwarves, elves, and men from Dale uh, in attendance, and Gandalf came and set off the magical fireworks, which, as we discussed, thereby connected Bilbo's party to the old Took's party, and connected the beginning of the second adventure to the beginning of the first adventure, which begins with Bilbo recalling Gandalf's fireworks at the old Took's old birthday celebrations. Um, so okay, so um, so we already got that interesting bit in version two of chapter one. Now we're trying to fit in Gandalf again, right? Um, Where is Gandalf? asks Odo. And uh, and you, who was it was uh, talking about this? James Stevens, you're absolutely right. It is interesting how the first paragraph of these notes are 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 just pure outline, right? Uh, just just sketched ideas, and then he breaks into dialogue. James, that's very normal, very typical. The, the, the actual scene will begin to, to kind of percolate up as he begins to think about this stuff. Um, I, uh, I could, t- I mean, it would, be, uh, it would be very like him. It would be very much fitting the pattern of, of, of his notes of these kinds, James. If the uh, where is G is sort of something that I, I could imagine he's... So he's just ended that first paragraph, and he's starting a new paragraph of notes. I could imagine his very first note being, where is G, right? Where is Gandalf? But then he actually begins... That, that kind of kicks off dialogue, right? Uh, asks Odo, said I was old and... And then now he's got Bilbo's response, but I dare say he will turn up. He is apt to, right? And whenever these snatches of dialogue kind of float into his mind, he starts jotting them down, and off he goes, right? Um, okay, but 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 to, to to go back to the to the to the plot picture here, Gandalf is absent, but he might show up at some point. So we seem to have a kind of acknowledgement, right, that we need Gandalf as the story catalyst, which is his job, you know, which is his role, um, you know, in general. So so often in uh, in Tolkien stories, um, you know, he seems to be he seems to be wanted. You know, for that, um, uh, for that role again in this story, as we are uh, as we are moving forward, um, so that's interesting. You know, all by itself, there, um, the his acknowledgement of it is he going to catch up to them in Rivendell? We don't really know, um, but um, uh, <laughs> but yeah. No, yeah, no, no, Tomas. I don't think he's meaning to imply that the Shire is an Odonian society. Um, uh, so yeah, Tomas, I was thinking of Odo too. Um, Odo, uh, Odo looks very different now that we're coming from uh, Ursula Le Guin's dispossessed. If you didn't read that book with us, you won't understand what we're talking about. But don't worry about it. Um, uh, <laughs> mine ring says Nancy Fosberg. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, now, Nick, you're absolutely right that um, there, there's, there's still no real plot 
to this story. He's got ideas for sort of situations, but there's no, um, if there's going to be anything like a there and back again journey, we don't know it. We don't even have a there journey, right? We just have an outline which is following in the footsteps of the old outline, right, of the outline of The Hobbit. Um, and it seems fair to guess or to say because he doesn't really seem to have any idea of where else it should go yet. Um, so let's look at another outline. All right. No one, said B, can escape quite unscathed from dragons. The only thing is to shun them if you can, like the Hobbitonians, though not necessarily to disbelieve in them or refuse to remember them, like the Hobbitonians. Now I have spent all my money, which seemed to me too much, which seemed once to me too much, and my own has gone after it. And I don't like being without after having. In fact, I am being lured. Well, well, Twice one is not always two, as my father used to say, but at any rate, I think I would rather wander as a poor man than sit and shiver. And Hobbiton rather grows on you in twenty years, don't you think? Grows too heavy to bear, I mean. Anyway, we're off. And it's autumn. I enjoy autumn wandering. Asks Elrond what he can do to heal his money wish and unsettlement. Elrond tells him of an island, Britain, far west where the elves still reign. Journey to Perilous Isle. I want to look again on a live dragon. This is my favorite plot projection of all. Right? I mean, this is fantastic. So, okay. Notice what we're getting here. What we're getting here is the first, because Nick, as you were pointing out, no plot yet, right? The, The last one was just, how can we... What can come next? Seeing no more than one step at a time in front of him, right? What can come next? No sense of an overall plan, right? Now we have an overall plan, right? We have, we have Bilbo's problem, and his problem is dragon sickness, right? He's, he's apparently not shaken dragon sickness after all this time, right? Um... That's kind of fun, right? So, so he he's lost all his money, and his problem. So his problem is that he's poor. That's why he's leaving. Um. But wait, he's leaving because he's poor and he can't bear to be poor. So I mean, one of the problems here is it's a little bit muddy, right? Is he leaving Hobbiton because he wants to leave Hobbiton? And I agree, uh, uh, Yana. Hobbitonians is a pretty good name. Uh, is it a pretty good word. Yana is lamenting that we ever lost the word Hobbitonians. Um, uh, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it's a fun one, but anyway, um, so, so yeah, we have his desire to leave Hobbiton because it grows on him, right? That is grows too heavy to bear and he needs more money, right? He, he has this, uh, this money wish, this unsettlement, if that's the case, then are we to, un- are we to understand that his, uh, his, his feeling that Hobbiton is too heavy to bear is a consequence of his gold lust, right? Um, I think that's possible, right? If we, if we're sort of, if we harmonize those two things in that way. Um, okay, so big picture, what do we see Tolkien doing here? We see... This idea is Bilbo is setting out not for an external reason, but for an internal reason, right? There's something about him that makes him go. He can't settle down. He can't be content. He has 
not a wanderlust, but some kind of lust, some kind of desire, right, that can't be satisfied. Um, and he goes back to the dragon, and dragon, the dragon curse. That's totally normal, right? That's utterly unsurprising. Tolkien loved stories of cursed treasure, um, and dragon cursed treasure, sure, why not, right? Absolutely. Um, the idea that Smaug's cur- that the curse that Smaug might lay upon the treasure uh, is uh, still operative on Bilbo twenty years later. Uh, nothing could be more likely than that, right? Um, Josh, exactly. Just like the Horde of Glaurung. I mean, those of you who have done uh, the history of Middle-earth with me so far will remember that, you know, the curse laid upon the dragon gold of Glaurung was the mover of the, you know, uh, like, most of the later Silmarillion story way outweighed, in the Book of Lost Tales version, way outweighed, was much more important than the Silmarils themselves. Um, So, um, so that's interesting. Now, one thing that's interesting here is the fact that Bilbo has lost... You'd think, if he were still in some residual way affected by the dragon's curse, that he probably wouldn't be giving all of his money away. That seems a little bit strange for a dragon-cursed individual to be doing. But okay, right? You know, I guess maybe that's what he's up to. Um, maybe this is a, a sort of a hobbit version, right? Maybe it's part of the dragon's curse that he give it all away. Um all my money, which seemed once to me too much, and my own, has gone after it, right? He spent it all, and so instead of hoarding the gold, he's giving it all, right? Um, okay, that's kind of, I mean, I don't know if that's really a thing, right? If that's actually, uh, if that's actually, um, what he had in mind, like this kind of a hobbit version of dragon sickness or whatever, but, uh, but it's interesting, What do you see the seed of here? I think the the story that we get, the big picture story we get in this version, I think is one that's never going to... This is going to be part of the Lord of the Rings, clearly, right? This this story is going to have a is going to have a home, right? Not of course as Bilbo's reason for leaving the Shire, not of course uh, for Frodo's reason for leaving the Shire ultimately, the first time, but the second time, right? Exactly, Kate. The sickness is transferred to the ring. Kimber, exactly. The wounded hobbit must leave for the West. This inability to settle down and have peace, right? Because there has been some wound, right? You can't escape quite unscathed, right? So a not-quite-unscathed hobbit, unable to find peace and settle down forever, you know, for the rest of his life in the Shire, um, needs to find some relief, uh, for this unsettlement that is within him. And so he is advised by Elrond to go seek an island far west of here where the elves still reign. Perhaps a journey to the Perilous Isle might solve uh, your unsettlement, right? As, of course, it's going to for both Bilbo and for Frodo in the end. Um, so, yes, and... Uh, um, uh, what was this? Uh, Kimber said, yes, exactly. Uh, Kimber, that's a really good summary. The idea here seems to, when looking at what is this story that Tolkien was going to make the Hobbit sequel into? An Imrama, exactly. Uh, the Imram, the, 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 the story of the, the, the voyage out to the mysterious isles, like the voyage of, of St. Brendan, right? Um, 
that seems to be what we were going to get from Bilbo. And yes, as several of you were saying before, this does seem to me that Britain question mark is extremely telling, right? Elrond tells him of an island far west where the elves still reign. Well, we know an island just like that, right? The Lonely Isle, which has been a major fixture ever since the very beginning of Tolkien's mythology. Um, and that Britain there recalls very clearly, and I'll, 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 I'll just give a brief summary. I can't do justice to this in the time that we have, um, but just to make sure people know what we're talking about. In the first versions, in the Book of Lost Tales, when Tolkien was first writing his mythology, uh, the Lonely Isle, the Isle of the Elves, where the exiled elves uh, return after the dominion of men begins, They're, they can't go back to Valinor, but they can't stay in Middle-earth because of the uh, because of the dominion of men. They go to the Lonely Isle, um, and the Lonely Isle in the original version was... Britain. That was it. Was it was it was it was the British Isles. Um, Ireland gets pulled away from it, by the way, during like the tug of war between Olmo and Ose, um, when one's trying to anchor it and the other one's trying to tow it. That's how Ireland gets pulled off and why it's separated from the rest of the British Isles. Anyway, um, uh, the um, uh, concerning which, by the way, I think the idea to say that. Uh, the geographical division between Ireland and England began in a tug of war between two gods actually seems like a nifty little allegory uh, for the future history of England and Ireland. But anyway, um, so, uh, so yeah, so that idea that Tola Eresia, the, the Lonely Isle, was actually Britain um, is part of Tolkien's original conception. Now, he abandoned that conception later on, and it's been, by the time he's writing this, either in very late 1937 or very early 1938, um, well, this is, chapter one still, is probably still 37 when he's writing this, um, it's now been 20 years of Tolkien's own personal life since uh, he had written that about Britain and, uh, and the Lonely Isle, and he hasn't gone back there but it kind of does sound like he's uh, reimagining that, right? That he's going to send him to an island, um, to the to the island, which is clearly, I, I mean, I say clearly Tolaresi. I can't imagine what else it would be. Possibly something recycled, right? Not exactly, you know, just, maybe something that has the same relationship to Tolaresi as the Elven King has to Thingol and as the Arkenstone has to the Silmaril, maybe, that is not literally it within the historical timeline of Tolkien's mythology, but, um, but nevertheless the same kind of concept and general idea. Um, possibly, possibly. Um, oh, right, sorry, yeah, Tom Hillman is correcting me uh, with the historical correction to say that actually Ireland was blown off of the island of Britain by religious fanatic stuffed bears with explosives. I should have remembered that. Um, but um, anyway, uh, so yeah, Yana, basically, he seems to be casting, potentially casting Bilbo in the role of Alfwina, um, the human mariner who goes there and hears the Lost Tales. Now, was that in Bilbo's future, right? Were we going to get some Lost Tales action from, 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 from Bilbo uh, as part of the sequel? That would have been interesting, um, and that would have been hilarious, right? That would have been absolutely hilarious. Can't you just see that? Cause remember, remember Tolkien's writing the Silmarillion, right? And he's just pulled himself away from finalizing the, public, the, 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 the Silmarillion for publication, which is just being rejected again, right? And be like, fine, I'll write a sequel, and I'll write a sequel in which they go and hear the Silmarillion stories. So he's like, gotcha, I'm going to work the Silmarillion into the sequel. That would be... Absolutely, exactly, Yana. It's like the backdoor publication of the Silmarillion. That would be 
fabulous, just absolutely fabulous. Um, so anyway, I am. Um, and good, both John Caldwell and uh, James Lieback are both pointing out that in a sense, of course, we do get exactly this, in that the translations from the Elvish by B.B., um, Bilbo does end up being the transmitter of the old stories, right, of the, the tales which certainly would otherwise be lost if, uh, if, not, for, if not for Bilbo. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of cool, right? Um, but... Uh, but we don't really know exactly, you know, how 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 thoroughly he was going to go backdoor Silmarillion uh, on that one. But I think it's really fun. And that last line, I want to look again on a live dragon, right? Um, fascinating, right? And how was that going to resolve? Was this going to be a dragon story again? Is there a dragon on Tolaresia? Was where was this going to go? I don't know. That's the part that I find most mind blowing of the whole thing. Actually, the rest of it. The rest of it fits like I, 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 I can, you know, knowing this other stuff that Tolkien had written and was working on, we can kind of guess where he was, what he was thinking, and then we can see how it fits with the other ideas that he had. But that one, I want to look again on a live dragon. No idea. No idea. Uh, Kate was suggesting maybe uh, if he goes to Britain, he can find Chrysophylax Dives. I'm not sure. Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that would be really interesting. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, so let's look at another one. So now, finally, and of course, as several of you have pointed out, still no hint that the ring is the source of the action, right? Even even in this uh, even in this synopsis, when there's something wrong, there's like an internal thing within Bilbo that drives him to go. It still has nothing to do with the ring, right? It's the treasure. Now, of course, the ring is one of the pieces of treasure, but still, it's 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 nothing about the nature of the ring itself. Next, we finally get to the power of the ring. The ring. Whence its origin? Necromancer? Not very dangerous when used for good purpose, but it exacts its penalty. You must either lose it or yourself. Bilbo could not bring himself to lose it. He starts on a holiday, struck out with his wife, handing over ring to Bingo. But he vanished. Bingo worried. Resists desire to go and find him, though he does travel round a lot looking for news won't lose Ring as he feels it will ultimately bring him to his father. At last he meets Gandalf. Gandalf's advice. You must stage a disappearance, and the Ring may then be cheated into letting you follow a similar path. But you have got to really disappear and give up the past. Hence the party. Bingo confides in his friends. Odo, Frodo, and Vigo insist on coming too. Gandalf rather dubious. You will share the same fate as Bingo, he said, if you dare the ring. Look what happened to Primula. <laughs> yeah, uh, Arthur, I agree. The reference to Vigo, um, you know, the, the, the prospect of a Vigo Baggins uh, has sort of a, a startling look in a post-Peter Jackson world. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway... Anyway, yeah, it is just uh, uh, talk about uh, talk about unintended uh, comedy, and Nancy, yeah, that last line is so tantalizing, isn't it? I mean, I agree. What happened to Primula? I really want to know what happened to Primula. It doesn't sound like, you know, she was drowned in the river, right? Uh, you know, a boating accident doesn't sound like the uh, the the answer here. Um, but yeah, I totally want to know what happened to Primula too, uh, especially with. It seems to be connected with the ring, 
you know, uh, you will share the same fate if you dare the ring. Look what happened to Primua, right? Um, my goodness. Um, okay, so, so yeah, I have no idea what to say about uh, about Primua there. Um, what do we learn about the ring here? Now, here's where we have to be careful, right? Um, we have to be careful not to import too much of what we know from later into this, right? Based only on this, trying to trying to clear our minds of everything else, and based only on this, what do we learn about the ring in uh, in in the this this earliest conception of the significance of the ring, having now um, struck upon the ring as the moving force of the future plot? What do we learn about it? Dangerous if used for evil. Yes. Yes. Um, good. So, it's dangerous, but it's not. it doesn't seem to be wholly evil, right? I mean, notice the first thing that he says about it. Right? Okay, the first thing is that its origin is the necromancer, right? Okay, so, 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 so the first idea is that this is the necromancer's ring. Right, so that's sufficiently ominous, right? But he immediately follows that up with "not very dangerous when used for good purpose," right? And so this enables two things at once, right? On the one hand, this enables what happens with Bilbo, in other words, nothing very terrible, right? And also what happened with Gollum, which was much more terrible, right? So Gollum used it not for good purpose which we can know on account of he wanted to eat Bilbo, right? So that's pretty obvious that he um, uh, used the ring for not good purposes. And, of course, we hear Gollum in The Hobbit talking about sneaking up behind goblins and strangling them and eating them afterwards, right? So, again, Gollum used the ring for bad purpose, and so, therefore, presumably, likely, something bad has happened to Gollum as a result. But the same, same bad thing has not happened to Bilbo, because he used it for good purpose. Um, but it exacts its penalty. You must either lose it or yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so let's see. Yana says, is the ring inherently dangerous when used for evil, or is it just that doing evil things with such a strong tool uh, is generally a bad idea? Um I think inherently dangerous when used for evil, because as several of you are pointing out, I think very rightly, um, it um, it seems to be it's described as sentient here, right? It seems to have intelligence. It can be cheated, lied to, Nate, as you say. Um, it does seem to have a mind of its own. Um, let's see. So where's that bit? Okay. You must stage a disappearance, and the ring may then be cheated into letting you follow a similar path. But you have got to really disappear and give up the past. You must either lose it or yourself. Now, it's tempting. It's tempting. Um, First of all, not only do I not know what that sentence means... I don't even understand the context of that sentence. 
or at least I can imagine a couple different contexts for that sentence, right? Like I said, it's really easy to imagine that we do know what that sentence means. You must either lose it or yourself. Right. Given what we know about the ring later, right, that seems perfectly clear, right? If you don't, if eventually the ring will come to control you, right? So you will lose your sense in the sense of, you know, losing your own will, losing your own soul. You'll become a wraith under the enslavement of the Dark Lord if you keep the ring indefinitely, right? So you either have to lose, either have to lose the ring, get rid of it, uh, and save yourself, or you're going to lose yourself, right? At least so our post-published Lord of the Ring mind would interpret that sentence, and I think that's a conceivable interpretation here, but I don't think it's inescapable at all. I think that we can understand that in different ways. Notice that losing it or yourself could be... And it's, so it could be just talking about here's the consequences uh, if you have it, right? Here's its penalty. Its penalty is that you must either lose it or yourself, right? Okay, all right, but in what sense? And But look at this down here, right? Uh, you've got to really disappear and give up the past. The ring may then be cheated into letting you follow a similar path. So if you lose yourself, that's the penalty? So the ring is going to exact its penalty, which is either you're going to lose it or you're going to lose yourself, but not necessarily lose yourself to the ring. Gandalf seems to suggest that if you disappear, if he disappears, if he loses himself, right, really disappear and give up the past, that it, that would cheat the ring. In what sense cheat? That it would satisfy the ring? So the ring is exacting a penalty? It demands a penalty for, for usage? Right? You've got to pay it? Somehow, there's a price to be paid to the ring for using the ring. And that the ring would be cheated, satisfied, in some sense, if he gives up his life, his regular life, his hobbiton life, right? Um, Disappear, really disappear, and give up the past through the party. And that would enable him, Bingo, to follow a similar path to Bilbo's. Bilbo chose to lose the ring, right? Um, Bilbo chose to lose the ring, although, you know, we're told that um, Bilbo couldn't bring himself to lose it. Not to lose it completely, but he does give it to Bingo and leave, right? So, does that then satisfy the penalty of the ring? He's lost the ring. He, Bilbo loses the ring, Bingo's going to lose himself? Is that what it means? Right? Um, I don't... I don't know. Yeah, Mick, exactly. Mick's saying the use of, of the ring has a cumulative effect. Like, if you fool it, it's like starting again? Yeah, I don't know, Mick. That's exactly it. I mean, is it... Do you, like, reset your penalty clock? Right? For the ring? If you do that? I'm not really... I'm not really sure. And Rachel, no, he doesn't exactly lose it by giving it to Bingo. I mean, it's not really lost because he knows where it is. And Rachel, maybe that's why... Maybe Bilbo, in losing it that way, like, didn't really lose it and so therefore didn't really satisfy the ring, didn't successfully cheat the ring. And therefore, maybe something... Maybe the ring made him lose himself anyway and that's why he was disappeared. Bingo's worried about him, right? And, uh, and, um, travels around looking for news of his dad because he's afraid something bad happened to him. Maybe the ring caused that, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, because, yeah, because Bilbo, 
Bobo vanished, right? Um, yeah, but he vanished. Bingo worried. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, Nancy's wondering, does it, does it, is it suggesting that the ring is going to lead Bingo to Bilbo, right? Does that, is it, is that literally what Gandalf, like he's, he, he, he literally is following the same path, right? Um, the same path that, that, that Bilbo followed and thus would, would find him, right? Is it because, you know, Nancy's wondering if the ring is still after Bil, uh, Bilbo, right? And thus would, would sort of lead him, lead him there, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's um, it's not really clear. And Kate, it's 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 in particular not really clear exactly for the reason you asked. Kate just said, "What is its power now?" Um, I don't know what its power. I mean, apart from making you invisible, we don't know anything about its power. We've got the suggestion of its origin, right? The necromancer, but that's only of limited usefulness, right? Okay, so this origin is the necromancer, but so that doesn't tell us anything about what it does, right? what its powers are. Again, the only thing we know is about making people disappear, and disappearance, of course, is what Gandalf is playing on down here. So it's... Whoops, sorry. So it seems that um, disappearance has something to do with it. It may still be really the, the idea of a ring of power, right? Um, you know, a will, a, a ring which can be used to dominate the wills of others does not seem to be suggested here at all. Um, and yes, James, very interesting that Bill, that Bingo's friends are daring the ring. Exactly. Um, they're going to be, they're going to shame the, they're going to share the same fate as Bingo, right? If they dare the ring, James. So they're going to come under the power of the ring. Is the ring going to exact its penalty from them too? And in what sense are they going to lose themselves? I don't really, I don't really know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, this first glimpse of the ring is quite puzzling. Kit is wondering about the disappearing wife. In this case, of course, Kit writes she's literally disappeared from the manuscript. Right? He went on a, on a holiday with his wife because, of course, this is this is following this. This clearly is following version three, right? When Bingo was still B- Bilbo was still Bingo's father, and therefore Bingo had a mother and Bilbo a wife, right? Um, so, why did he strike out with his wife? Um, you know, uh, is the wife? Primula? Are, is that why um, is that is that why the wife was struck out here because Bingo Bilbo didn't disappear didn't set out on his holiday uh, and vanish with his wife because something unspeakable had already happened to Primula the wife um, uh, and uh, and that's why Gandalf comes back and says look what happened to Primula because she dared the ring by connecting herself to Bilbo. Right, so by becoming Bilbo's wife, she dared the ring and came under its power, and something happened to her. Presumably, something happened to her before Bilbo even set out on his journey and vanished. Right? I'm speculating wildly here. No idea. Right? I have no more information than what is on this slide. But just trying to 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 to, to get an idea of how this of how this kind of works. But I think it's fascinating that. The idea of the um, companions of the ring bearer 
which isn't a thing yet, of course. But anyway, the companions of the person who has the ring um, are bringing themselves into significant trouble, at least potentially, right? Um, you know, they are uh, they are putting themselves in the line of fire, not just in the sense of you might go to dangerous places and run the risk of seeing dangerous things, right? It's not just that. The problem is much more serious than that. The problem is that you're going to... Um, uh, you're going to actually come under the power of the ring itself. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, good. Yes, yeah, Stephen says he's interested that in, uh, in in many of these early versions, the party and disappearance are actually Gandalf's idea. Um, yes, yes, that is interesting. Um, and notice how this is... They're kind of spinning off that for a second, Stephen... He already has the idea of the party, right? We saw the party thing came first, right? This was the first seed of a of a sequel. Um, and it wasn't really going anywhere. That is, he didn't have any forward movement, really. It was just sort of a, a Hobbit incident that he imagined in the, and the launching off part for a real story. Um, but we already see him trying to kind of retcon it, right? He's already uh, building consistency around that, building a story around it, Um what if there really is a, um, a a serious purpose for that party? Okay, a um, couple more. Here's a short one. Make dubious regions, old forest on way to Rivendell, south of river. They turn aside to call up Frodo Brandybuck, written above Marmaduke. Get lost and caught by Willowman and by Barrow Whites. T. Bombadil comes in. South was changed from north, and east is written in the margin. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> north changed to south with east written in the margin. Tolkien has no idea what direction they're going to, right? I mean, they are gonna, going to Rivendell, so they've got to be going in a generally eastwardly direction sooner or later, right? But, um, but yeah, so, um, okay, uh yeah, uh, Josh, I love Marmaduke as well. I, I, there's a part of me, it's a relatively small part, but there's a part of me that wishes he hadn't changed Marmaduke. Um, but uh, anyway, anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, James says, no, West! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, right, exactly. Okay, so... Um, so Frodo is originally a brandy buck who's changed to Marmaduke. Um, and I would just, I would want to emphasize a point that Christopher Tolkien makes, um, and uh, which I think is, a, is is super important to absorb. Don't try to draw a one-to-one relationship between any of Bingo's companions and the future companions. Right? Um, if you know the text of the Lord of the Rings really well, um, especially when reading Chapter Two, the uh, Three's Company chapter, you will have noticed a whole bunch of lines which are almost word for word still in the published Fellowship of the Ring, but they're all over the place, right? So you'll hear Odo saying Pippin's lines a lot of the time, but some of Sam's lines, and Frodo saying some of Sam's, Sam's lines, but some of Pippin's, and um, you um, you just, uh, you can't you can't draw equal signs between these original hobbits and the later hobbits, and uh, so be flexible. Just be flexible, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
James is wondering what Marmaduke's nickname would have been. Marma? Yeah. So just like you have uh, Mary Adok changed to Mary, and uh, um, Marmaduke changed to Marmy? <laughs> the Duke, <laughs> says Josh. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, Duke. Duke. Exactly. Yeah. Rouse Woof? No, no, I don't think so, Arthur. Um, okay. All right. Anyway. But of course, we see the interesting thing here, right? We're still thinking up adventures, right? So it's like, okay, we need to have some adventures along the way. We need some dubious regions. We're not sure where they're going to be. They're going to be south. They're going to be north. They're going to be east. They're going to be somewhere around. Who knows? Um, but it now we have this. Com- it, now it comes to him, right? Um, I know what we can do for an adventure, right? Forget the witch house. Right? No, no, no. Tom Bombadil. Boom. Right? And the Tom Bombadil connection brings up the whole string. Right? Willowman, Barrow Whites, it's all there. For those of you who don't know the original Adventures of Tom Bombadil poem, all of those figures, Old Man Willow and the Barrow Whites and Goldberry, are all in the Adventures of Tom Bombadil original poem. So the, the whole concept of bringing in the Adventures of Tom Bombadil world um, is... Uh, is... is it brings this whole set with it, right? So he's going to do all of the Bombadil adventures except the Badgers. Apparently, the Badgers are we're going to we're going to, we're going to axe the Badgers. But uh, uh, but apart from the, exactly Josh, right? Yeah, uh, Tom will still tell him a story about Badgers, but uh, uh, but they're but they're totally gone. Other than that, um, so that itself is really interesting, and this seems like a sort of a, an, another incidental idea, right? Like the witch house, right? But of course, we know this one is going to stick. Um, it's interesting to me that the idea of bringing in Tom Bombadil and the Bombadil, the little, the little Bombadil world, right, goes back to the very beginning when he was originally um, trying to come up with adventures to give them. Um, so, uh, so the, exactly, Kate. Much better than having to make up a whole new witch character. Ready to use fun characters. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Good, good. Um, yeah, yeah. No, John, exactly. John uh, is talking about the, the sort of the uh, autobiographical elements in the story Leaf by Niggle, how, how Niggle kept uh, bringing in paintings and tacking them onto the edges of his great painting, absolutely. Um, you know, we see Tolkien doing that kind of thing all the time, and this is yet another example. We know that that he, that Tolkien, really retained uh, great affection for Tom Bombadil uh, throughout his life and career. So he, uh, uh, the idea that he would bring him in is not very strange. Um, okay, last one. Okay. B.B. sets out with two nephews. They turn southward to collect Frodo Brandybuck. Get lost in Old Forest. Adventure with Willowman and Barrowwhites. T. Bombadil. Reach Rivendell and find Bilbo. Bilbo had had a sudden desire to visit the wild again, but meets Gandalf at Rivendell. Learn about Seek. Here, presumably, the narrative idea changes. Gandalf had turned up at Bag End. Bilbo tells him of desire for wild and gold. Dragon curse working. He goes to Rivendell between the worlds and settles down. 
Ring must eventually go back to Maker or draw you towards it. Rather a dirty trick handing it on? Okay. What do you make of this one? Thoughts? Observe. Let me give you a minute to write some thoughts and observations on this uh this little outline. Of course, you'll see lots of elements from the other sketches that we've looked at. This seems to be in a more advanced state in the sense that we get less, you know, kind of jumbled concepts and more narrative, right? He's tying together a whole bunch of the things. But what do you notice? What strikes you as interesting about this? Um, okay. Yes. Okay. I agree with you guys. The between the worlds thing, I don't understand either. What on earth does that mean? So, okay. He goes to Rivendell between the worlds and settles down. I trust that doesn't mean it's a different Rivendell, not the Rivendell where Elrond is. You know, the one between the worlds. So I assume it's the Rivendell that we know of and that the Rivendell that we know of is in some sense between the worlds. Okay. One, I'm going to operate under the assumption, which might be incorrect, but I'm going to operate under the assumption that that story there is still essentially the same as the story germ he was developing before, right? That is, because we have it connected with the dragon curse and his desire for the wild and for gold, right? So, and settling, right? Settling down. That's another thing that's brought in right there. So this brings us back to that second um, uh, you know, story projection in which Bilbo just was not able to settle down, not able to find peace in the Shire, and he was sent originally in that version, you'll remember, by Elrond uh, to Britain or Talaresia or whatever it is, right, in order to find peace and maybe see a live dragon. Now it seems to be Rivendell itself in which he's able to settle down. Um, that is to say, in this outline, it seems to me we have the same concept as was conceived before, but now Rivendell is the destination, right? He's a, it's Something about Rivendell enables him to find peace. And the reference to it being between the worlds uh, seems to be a gesture towards explaining that, right? Why is it that he could settle down at Rivendell? Because it is, in some sense, between the worlds. As for what does that mean, exactly, I don't know. Um... What do you think? I mean, the only thing I can think is that it's between the world that they live in, like the normal mundane world that they live in, and the ancient elvish world, right? That there is a sense in which when you enter Rivendell, that Rivendell isn't exactly totally in our world, that there's something of the ancient world that remains in some sense, right? Exact, Stephen, between Middle-earth and fairy, something like that? Yes, yes. Um, that there's something that being in Rivendell is like being in fairy, which so not like exactly being in our world. Um, I, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, good, Tom. Very good. Tom Hillman says, uh, in other words, like what Lorien turns out to be. Uh, yeah, Tom, I wonder if that idea of sort of, uh, uh you know, this, um, this, Wood between the worlds, as it were, is uh, a concept that he then ends up um, 
invoking in Lorien later on, because what I'm describing does sound rather like uh, Lothlorien as it comes to be. And of course, it would be very like Tolkien not to abandon an idea like this. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so so we have the original story, like the, that, that old story of Bilbo not being able to settle down because of the dragon curse. Right. Okay. Um, other elements. Um, I like the point. Oh, somebody was making this point, and I have lost it in the. Um, it got washed downstream there. Um, somebody was talking about that we get the generational gap between Bingo and his companions. Um, which is interesting. I agree. Um, Bingo is you know, Bingo sets out with his with two of his nephews, right? Um, so we have Bingo as the a the generation older than his companions. That's an element from the beginning here. Um, and uh, yeah, oh Thomas, yeah, my joke about the Lewis the Wood Between the Worlds thing. I was just making a joke. Um, and uh, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, Lewis hadn't hadn't written that yet. Um, nor do I see any reason to think that he's getting that from uh, uh, from from Tolkien here. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. I was just making a joke. Um, uh, as of course, there's 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 no. There's no real connection between those things. The sense in which Lewis's wood between the worlds is between the worlds is a totally different sense than anything I think he could possibly have intended to, to say about Rivendell here. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> Stephen is saying it's beginning to sound as if there is a Frodo in every Hobbit family in the Shire. Yeah, it's a dead common name, Stephen. And that's why eventually the protagonist becomes Frodo, because everybody's Frodo, right? Um, yeah, exactly. It's a Frodo Brandybuck. There's a Frodo Took. Yep, yep. These names are all... There are all it's like Bad Wolf, Tom, right? Yeah, exactly. You just see Frodo everywhere until you realize it's you, right? Exactly. Um Yep, yep. Um, okay, so so more now. This stuff about the ring here. Okay, so we notice Tom Bombadil is ensconced now, right? We've got it. We, we're we're turning southward. We're collecting a brandy buck, and then we're getting lost in the old forest. We're having an adventure with the Willow Man and the Barrow White. So now the path before us is coming clearer, right? Um, but what about the ring? What do we see about the ring here? Okay. We learn something new about the ring. What do we learn? The ring must eventually go back to Maker or draw you towards it. Wait. Draw you towards the Maker? I think that's what it has to mean there. When Tolkien is sketching, his pro- his uh, his pronouns are sometimes a little uncertain of their antecedents, right? So I'm not completely sure what um, what it means there. But i got to think it means the maker. I mean, the ring can be drawing you towards itself. I mean, if you have it, right? I mean, I, 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 that conjures up pictures of like, you know, the the ring is like a black hole sucking you into the center. I don't think that's what's intended here at all. Um, 
I would think that it's drawing you to the maker, right? Um, and uh, right now, Peter Ripsky asks asks an ex- excellent question. If that's the case, why would there be an or there, right? Or draw you towards it? Okay, Peter, I would think that would mean either the ring must go back, or it draws you. In other words, the ring's going back one way or another, either with you or without you, right? Um, so, like, you may you may as well come quietly or something, right? Uh, I think that's um, I think that's that's my that's my sense of it. Yet, um, okay. So, if it's drawing you to the maker, that's presumably bad, since we have established not in this set of notes, but in the earlier set of notes, that the maker was the necromancer. So. That's probably bad, but there's no real sense of malevolence there on the ring's part, right? Um, that the ring is trying to destroy you. There's no. Um, uh, I suppose this comment is uh, consistent with the ring being sentient and having plans, right? That 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 certainly does seem possible still, um, and. Uh, but it doesn't, uh, Thomas. I agree with you, Thomas Kaluza. Uh, it. it the ring doesn't seem to be in need of being unmade yet, right? There's no, um, there doesn't seem to be any whiff of we'd better go on a quest to destroy this thing, right? The, I I agree that seems to be wholly absent as yet. Um, the only thing referred to is that it's rather a dirty trick, handing it on, um, which uh, I don't know. That kind of sounds like dialogue, like one of those things where a, a line of dialogue floated in, into his head. I don't know whose dialogue that would be. My guess would be Bilbo's, that Bilbo would learn about this and say, well, it was rather a dirty trick of me to hand it on, you know, uh, if, uh, if that's the case. Um, or maybe Gandalf, uh, so, you know, teasing him, Gandalf engaging in raillery. Um, but, uh, but I don't know. Um, but Arthur, you're right. We still do see the, the Arthur says the primary evil is the dragon curse. Uh, the ring and maker had not yet taken center stage. That's right. Though I would say Arthur that here now I agree earlier, like in that second one, um, the dragon curse was clearly at center stage. Here, it's at least sharing the stage with the ring. Right? It's the dragon curse that involves that 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 takes Bilbo away. That's why Bilbo went and traveled and why he ended up at Rivendell. But remember. By this time, by the time we're in version three or version four of chapter one, um, that's still a sideline, right? Bilbo's left and everything, but now we're in the story of Bingo and his long-expected party. His departure and his journey is about the ring, whereas Bilbo's departure was about the dragon gold, right, and the dragon curse. And so presumably we're going to meet him at... um, we're we're going to meet him at Rivendell, Bilbo at Rivendell, and discover that he's there in Rivendell and staying there in Rivendell because it his uh, his uh, you know he's 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 been able to get over his dragon curse problem by being there at the uh, at the Rivendell between the worlds, um, but um, anyway, yeah, and Carrie quite possibly maybe it is uh, one one of the uh, nephews. <coughs> Excuse me with that dialogue. About the dirty trick, that seems that seems quite possible as well. Um, yeah, good. Okay, so I th- again, this is this is this whole section is one of my favorite parts of the entire book. Isn't it really cool to to sort of see um, 
you know, and kind of allowing yourself for the moment to think to what you know is coming, right? To imagine the uh, uh, the the future of the Lord of the Rings as it's going, in fact, to unfold, uh, and 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 seeing the sort of the germs of that. This, of course, is the passage which Tolkien labeled the genesis of the Lord of the Rings later on. This uh, this passage we were just looking at. Um, it's really fun to see, but it's but it's also fun to kind of forget about what we know later and to see from this point. Where are we? And where are we going? Right? Well, so let's now re- go to where the narrative resumes and look at exactly that question. Where, in fact, are we headed? Like, literally, where is Bingo going to? Because that's unclear. So we're with Bingo from the beginning, right? Because we don't continue on into Chapter 2, um, Three's Company, uh, until we uh, until we have done all four versions of the first chapter. So now we're firmly in the bingo camp and it's bingo who's traveling. And remember that this is presumably the same bingo who is hiding in his, in his cupboard, listening to everybody, uh, 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 open their, uh, their presence and, uh, get their things and everything. And now he sets off. Remember that those, those elements of, uh, of landscape description and everything that we got, which seemed very different, right? From the, we, we, we were looking at that. We're presumably picking up on that here. Um, okay. So this is the first fragmentary version of that, uh, that Christopher Tolkien gives to us. Have you three any idea where we are going to, said Bingo. None whatever, said Frodo. If you mean, where are we going to land finally? With such a captain, it would be quite impossible to guess that. We all know where we are making for first. What we don't know, put in Drogo, is how long it is going to take us on foot. Do you? You have usually taken a pony. That is not much faster, though it is less tiring. Let me see. I have never done the journey in a hurry before, and have usually taken five and a half weeks with plenty of rests. Actually, I have always had some adventure, milder or less so, every time I have taken the road to Rivendell. Yeah, that was his time with a witch house once, let me tell you. Um, okay, good. So, so neat. Stephen, great observations to begin with. Bingo has been to Rivendell several times. That is interesting to note, right? Bingo is a traveled hobbit. Um, and second, he's in a hurry. Uh, this time. I have never done the journey in a hurry before. That does seem to imply that he's in a hurry now for some reason, though we don't know what reason he has to hurry. Um, uh, good. Good. Um, yeah, Nate says, the hobbits don't know where they're going and neither does JRRT. Uh, yeah. Exactly. This seems to be very much in that period of, uh, you know, when he, he just is, uh, all of those, uh, you know, notes that we were looking at before, they all did sort of suggest Rivendell's going to be where he's going to go first, right? That, you know, getting him to Rivendell is clearly stage one of whatever the journey ultimately he's going to go on. Um, and that still does seem to be the case, but, um, uh, but we don't really know, um, we don't really know where uh, or why he's going exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So, more. Let's continue. Um, this is the second version of the story. When they may still have the same destination, but we we introduce another element, one which was foreseen in the in the plot fragments that we were looking at before. Here you are, said Frodo, jumping up. This is your little lot. Pack, bag, cloak, stick. 
"'I am sure you have given me all the heaviest stuff,' puffed Bingo, struggling into the straps. He was a bit on the stout side. "'Now then,' said Odo, "'don't start being bulger-like. There's nothing there except what you told us to pack. You'll feel the weight less when you have walked off a bit of your own.' "'Be kind to a poor ruined hobbit,' laughed Bingo. "'I shall be as thin as a willow wand, I'm sure, before a week is out. "'But now, what about it? Let's have a council. "'What shall we do first? "'I thought that was settled,' said Odo. "'Surely we have got to pick up Marmaduke first of all?' "'Oh, yes, I didn't mean that,' said Bingo. "'I meant, what about this evening? "'Shall we walk a little or a lot? "'All night or not at all?' "'Okay. "'Um... Karina says, more proof that hobbits are not shy about fat jokes. No, they never are. Um, And of course, on the subject of jokes in general, um, this kind of raillery, as uh, Christopher Tolkien calls it, um, is very common, right? This this manner of speaking among friends is very hobbit-like. And as I suggested last time, very much in keeping with how Tolkien himself talked to his friends. Uh, Lewis and Tolkien talked to each other like this quite a bit. Um, So, uh, but it's interesting. What is so fascinating to me, and Christopher talks about this, um, but I just, I, I would want to emphasize it even more than he does, and in a slightly different way. Christopher Tolkien talks about how fascinating it is that so many of the things that happen and, uh, you know, the, 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 the events are taken in places word for word uh, and retained in the final story. But the significance of them is completely altered by the new context in which they're placed. Um, that, I agree, is entirely remarkable. But I think that Christopher doesn't even do justice to how remarkable it is. It's not just the event is fixed, but it's significant changes. It's the event and the details, the dialogue, everything stays. I mean, you can see some revisions, but it's not that much. Um, The fact that this scene, right? This scene is, is there, there are whole bits of this that are word for word the same as the conversation between Pippin, Frodo, and Sam in the published Fellowship of the Ring. But you think of all of the things that have become different, right? The different context of their discussion. The, even the, uh, the context in which this stuff was packed for him, right? Um, in this, in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in the course of leaving Bag End after its sale, right? Totally different from this sneaking off and they've, they've got some stuff that they, that they took for him. Um, the, uh, the, yeah, Carita, the, the, the lines about wasting away, right? Which, uh, um, you know, the, and him, uh, uh, him, 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 him getting thinner, right? The, 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 the becoming a wraith stuff doesn't come in until later, but, um, but yeah, so much of the, I mean, the, the different social context by introducing Sam, um, whose relationship with the rest of them is quite different, uh, from this. Um, and then, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's lots more examples of this that we're going to be seeing as we go, but I just find it incredible how little Tolkien can change, and yet it works. And it doesn't just work. It works well. Like, it's brilliant in its new context. I, I mean, it's, 
it you would never guess that it wasn't born there. Um, the way that he can take not just plot ideas, not just characters, um, but whole stretches of dialogue and incident with res- with with description and everything, and transport it from one context to a completely different context and make it not just function, but make it sound native. Make pick up on resonances within the original wording, which had nothing to do with the significance of the significance that it would later have. Right. I, it's just, it staggers me the way that he does that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So now, so we know they're going to go pick up Marmaduke Brandybuck, and then presumably they're going to head off to, uh, uh, to the old forest and to, to, to old man Willow and Tom Bombadil and the Barrow Whites. Um, but of course you also notice there's, uh, there's no hurry, right? There's no fear. This, the, you know, their only question, shall we walk a little or a lot all night or not at all? Right. There's almost no, mo- there's no motivation for them to hide. There's no motivation for them to hurry. They have no suspicion that adventure is not happening yet. There may be adventures in their future, right? Uh, Bingo has acknowledged that uh, usually there is adventure. You usually find some adventure or other between the Shire and Rivendell, but... um, But... um, But he has no idea that adventure is upon him or close behind him. Uh, We see this even later. Look Look at where we get to here. This is with his... I'm jumping ahead for a minute to his conversation with Gildor. Why did you choose this moment to set out? asked Gildor. Well, really, it chose itself, answered Bingo. I had come to the end of my treasure. It had always held me back from the journey which half of my heart wished for, ever since Bilbo went away. But now it was gone. So I said to my stay-at-home half, There is nothing to keep you here. The journey might bring you some more treasure as it did old Bilbo. And anyway, on the road you will be able to live more easily without any. Of course, if you like to stay in Hobbiton and earn your living as a gardener or a carpenter, you can. The stay-at-home half surrendered. It did not want to make other people's chairs or grow other people's potatoes. It was soft and fat. I think the journey will do it good. But of course, the other half is not really looking for treasure, but for adventure. Later rather than sooner. At the moment, it also is soft and fat, and finding walking over the Shire quite enough. This is Bingo's answer to the question, why did you choose this moment to set out, right? Why have you left home? Why why did you leave home just now? And his answer is, he didn't have a really good reason, right? Um, and yes, Stephen, the Hobbit halves return very prominently. This is uh, very much like the, the Token Baggins stuff that we see in the Hobbit, right? Um, even in similar kinds of terms, right, we have the one half which wants adventure and the other half which is the stay-at-home half, right? And that seems like a pretty fair summary of the Took and Baggins. Now, Took and Baggins isn't exactly, uh, isn't exactly Bingo's makeup, right? He's, he's, uh, he's Bingo Bulger Baggins. Um, so I don't know which half the adventure comes from there, but, but whatever. Anyway, he's, uh, he's, he's related to the old Took, too, so there's still, there's still Tookishness in him also, but, um, anyway, so, he talks about this, uh, you know, this debate between his two halves, this broad general desire for adventure. Um, there's no real impetus. He doesn't even talk about, um, he doesn't even talk about going to find Bilbo, right? He talks about running out of money, right? And so therefore the, the kind of the need to leave, right? But he doesn't have any particular plan, um, 
of any kind. Um, yeah, Thomas doesn't find this, uh, you know, the character projected here in this paragraph uh, particularly appealing. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's not going to find him unappealing, but it's certainly not really gripping, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> James says it was either leave or get a job, and he'd rather go out on a, uh, an adventure than get a job, clearly. Um, but again, just as another reflection of how vague and indeterminate was the setting out, you know, on the journey, right? Um, in that context, I want to, uh, I want to look at the poem because we get this first poem, the first poem of the Lord of the Rings. Um, we get this poem prior to adventure catching up with us, right? So while Bingo is still in that kind of frame of mind, right? While the adventure still is where it is, we're just leaving home because Bingo's run out of money and we have a vagueish kind of desire for adventure. We recite this song. Now, of course, it's Frodo who recites the song, though in the very first draft, as Christopher points out, it's unclear exactly who, uh, um, who recited it. Um, but in, in later it becomes clear that it's, it's Frodo, um, not Bingo, but Frodo, who recites it. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Before us far the road has gone, and we come after it, who can, pursuing it with weary feet until it joins some larger way, where many paths and errands meet, and whither then we cannot say. Um... <laughs> Yeah, James points out that whither then we cannot say is something we could have used for the title of tonight's class. You're absolutely right. Um, yes, Arthur, I absolutely agree with you, and that is the number one thing that I would point to here, the thing that jumps out at me most, um, the use of the plural in this, right? Um, and we come after it who can, and whither then we cannot say. Um, this is, at Arthur, as you say, this is the only version um, of the poem that has we in it. It's very close uh, to the final version, um, which is interesting in itself. Um, where do we get this poem in the Lord? In the published Lord of the Rings. Where do we get this poem? Do you remember? If you think this is a trick question, you're right. Um... Same place, same name. Yes. Frodo says it on the road. Yes. But, exactly, Tom. Bilbo, of course, has already said it. When we get it in the published Lord of the Rings, in the same context, when Frodo, who is actually Bingo, right? Or when Frodo, after he's changed his name from Bingo, the protagonist, anyway. When the protagonist uh, utters this poem uh, in the published Lord of the Rings, we, the audience, have already heard it before because Bilbo has rec has recited it when he leaves at the end of chapter one. Um, now, it's not exactly the same. Do, do you remember the change that's made? The number one change between Bilbo's version and Frodo's version of this song of this uh, of this song? Yeah, Kate, you got it. Um, pursuing it with weary feet says Frodo. What does Bilbo say? Got it, Matthew. And James uh, and Josh, eager feet, pursuing it with eager feet, says Bilbo. When Frodo repeats it, it is pursuing it with weary feet. Um, 
But what does this do to the context of it? Think now. Okay, so for a second, forget about the published Fellowship of the Ring. In this context, in the context, all the context that we have so far, what is the significance of this poem? The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Before us far the road has gone, and we come after it, who can? Pursuing it with weary feet, until it joins some larger way, where many paths and errands meet, and whither then we cannot say. This is a poem about setting out on a journey and you have no idea where you're going, right? I mean, it, it seems to really describe the situation that, the, that they're in, right? Whither then we cannot say is where it goes to, right? But notice, notice the emphasis, right? Okay, so it goes on down from the door where it begins. So the door is presumably the door of your hole where you started, right? <clears throat> and so you're standing at, this is a poem which has its back to, 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 to the door you walked out of, Right? And you're just look. You start off just looking down the road. You know the, the sort of the eternal stretch of the road in front of you, right? It's not that the road is leading you to a particular place, right? This is not a, this is not a being drawn to a destination kind of poem, right? This is just about how in how indefinitely the road proceeds, right? So there you are. You, the, your door is at your back, and you're looking at the indefinite stretch of road. Um, notice an, another uh, before us. Far the road has gone, right? Um, you can't catch up with the road. The road has gone out bef- in, in front of you, right? Um, the road set out a long time before you have, and it's it's already way ahead, and you come after it, right? Notice it's almost like the road is your traveling companion, except it's got a big head start, and you're never going to catch up with it, right? You're because you're pursuing it, but you're you know although you're pursuing it with weary feet, and then what's going to happen? It's going to join some larger way. Um, so it's 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 a small road that's going to join into a bigger road where many paths and errands meet. Now sometimes I think you know, when I think when people think about this poem, even in the context of the published Lord of the Ring, think about where many paths and errands meet. That sounds like a place, right? Um, like many paths and errands meet at uh, you know I don't know path meet, right? <laughs> like 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 there's a town or a or a fair or something right at the place where many paths and errands meet but that's not what he's describing here um, it's the larger way where many paths and errands meet so in other words there's a there's a bigger road to which the road that you're following as well as many other paths and errands they're all tributary to this larger road right and that's you'll recall the image that we get in uh, in prose exposition right and then where does that thing go once you've You've been taken in by the road, and you've joined into this larger way, which you know of which many paths and errands are its tributaries. Where is it going to take you? We can't say, right? I mean, ultimately, it's going to take you what to like the road version of the ocean, right? I don't know, um, but uh, but but certainly to no particular uh, to to no particular thing. Great point, Yana, about how Chapter One of the Hobbit. Um, has, you know, we must away our break of day, um, a song which is all about a destination, right? Um, uh, it's all about the Lonely Mountain and heading to, 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 to that place and to the treasure, you know, the, their treasure which still lies beneath it. Um, Kate Neville asks, is it the straight road? Uh, probably not, though, you know, Kate, 
can't totally rule it out, right, that that would be somewhere in the back of Tolkien's mind. I don't know. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. And, and Diego, you're right. Bilbo's version of the song, because it is like Bilbo's version uh, in Chapter 19 of The Hobbit, um, uh, Bilbo's version comes home. Um, uh, you know... Uh, um, you know, looking again at trees and hills you once have known, um, but um, uh, but this one does not. This is just an outward bound one. It really seems to be the statement of where sort of the stories, where these characters are at this time. Um, they don't know where they're heading. Neither does Tolkien. Um, here's the. Uh, here's the prose exposition that comes the second time in the when, when in the typescript. Uh, this poem is included. It's definitively given to Frodo, and here's what he says. Um, when he is asked, as in the published version, uh, did he make that up, or was it some of Bilbo's rhyming? And he says, No, I made it up, or at any rate it came to me, said Frodo. I've never heard it before, certainly, said Bingo, but it reminds me very much of Bilbo in the last years, before he went away. He used often to say that there is only one road in all the land, that it was like a great river. Its springs were at every doorstep, and every path was its tributary. It's a dangerous business, Bingo, going out of your door, he used to say. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might get swept off to. Do you realize that this is the very path that goes through Mirkwood, and that if you wet it, it might take you to even farther and worse places than the Lonely Mountain? He used to say that on the path outside the front door at Bag End, especially after he had been out for a walk. Once again, notice um, how close this is. To, uh, what will end up staying in the uh, in the published edition, um, but uh, um, notice how in context this also serves as a kind of link back to the Hobbit. Right, we have another kind of sequely moment. Right, recall this is like they're setting out like Bilbo set out before uh, in the Hobbit, um, but Carita uh, thinks it sounds a little more ominous. I wonder. I mean... Yes, I see what you mean, I think. Um, I see what you mean. Though you could kind of do it both ways, right? On the one hand, when Frodo of the Lord of the Rings says this paragraph, we know where he is being swept to, right? He's being swept off to... Mordor, eventually, right? Um, and even he has, has already the shrewd suspicion that um, uh, it's his journey is, is, going to, is not going to be a there and back again journey, right? Um, that he's, he's going out for a one-way trip. Um, so in that sense, this seems less ominous in that they're being swept away, but they don't really know. Now, you're right, Carita, that you know, he's, he's going farther into worse places, then the Lonely Mountain. Um, and that does seem to kind of set up the sequel, right? Um, we're not just going back to the Lonely Mountain. It's not going to be an adventure just like that. It's going to be even farther um, and uh, potentially to, uh, uh, to worse places uh, at this point. Um, and we don't know exactly what yet, of course. So in that sense, it's, it's, uh, it is more ominous. But again, I think in some ways it has, it's a little bit freer because it doesn't have... I get Frodo himself when he says it, excuse me, Frodo when he says it in the published Lord of the Rings, unlike Bingo, when Bingo says it here, um, already knows that he is likely to head towards worse places, right? Though he doesn't yet know 
in chapter one or in chapter three of the Lord of the Rings that he's going to Mordor yet, but still. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, we are almost out of time. But um, let's let's continue and do the next two slides because the next two slides are um, the moment. The next two slides are the turning point of the entire Lord of the Rings, right? When adventure comes upon Tolkien, right? And bingo as well. The first incident of their journey. I think we had better get out of sight, said Bingo. Or you fellows, at any rate. Of course it doesn't matter very much, but I would rather not be met by anyone we know. Notice how casually Bingo's going to use the ring, right? You fellows, at any rate. Obviously I've got my invisibility ring. They, written above at the same time, Odo and F, ran quickly to the left down into a hollow beside the road and lay flat. Bingo slipped on his ring and sat down a few yards from the track. The sound of hoofs drew nearer. Round a turn came a white horse, and on it sat a bundle, or that is what it looked like, a small man wrapped entirely in a great cloak and hood, so that only his eyes peeped out, peered out, and his boots in the stirrups below. The horse stopped when it came level with Bingo. The figure uncovered its nose and sniffed, and then sat silent as if listening. Suddenly a laugh came from inside the hood. "'Bingo, my boy,' said Gandalf, throwing aside his wrappings. "'You and your lads are somewhere about. "'Come along now and show up. "'I want a word with you.' "'He turned his horse and rode straight to the hollow "'where Odo and Frodo lay. "'Hello, hello,' he said. "'Tired already? "'Aren't you going any further today?' "'At that moment, Bingo reappeared again. "'Well, I'm blessed,' said he. "'What are you doing along this way, Gandalf? "'I thought you had gone back with the elves and dwarves. "'And how did you know where we were?' Easy, said Gandalf. No magic. I saw you from the top of the hill, and knew how far ahead you were. As soon as I turned the corner and saw the straight piece in front was empty, I knew you had turned aside somewhere about here, and you have made a track in the long grass that I can see at any rate when I am looking for it. A gray rider, Nancy. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, this is, uh, this is amazing. Isn't this amazing? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Thomas, it's very shocking to everybody. Uh, I, it is, I will never forget how shocked I was when I first read this, right? And the sniffing, right? The sniffing that Gandalf is the one who originally sniffs, right? That the black ri- that the black rider only sniffs because Gandalf once sniffed before him. It blew my mind, perhaps more than anything else. Um, just kind of amazing. James, you're right. Gandalf is, is still a, a, a little old man, right? He's still, he's still small, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Kate says it's much more like Gandalf suddenly appearing at the trolls. Yeah, it is. It is rather like that. Um, now, this seems to be a very understandable impulse, right? That is to say, Bingo is wandering. He needs an adventure, right? It's time for adventure to begin. He's out roaming around. He's got no particular destination. I mean, look at that road poem they just recited, right? Or composed or whatever it was. Um, Here they are being swept away on the road and they don't know where they're going, right? Right? 
So we need an adventure. So what do you do? Well, you bring all, you bring in the adventure catalyst, right? Um, that's that's Gandalf's job. No, Sharon Gandalf was small in The Hobbit. He's described as a little old man when he first appears. So it is very Hobbit-ish, Hobbitly. Of you know, it is like The Hobbit, the the book, for him to be a little old man. Um, anyway, uh, you bring in Gandalf, right? Adventures spring up where he goes. We're told in The Hobbit, right? I mean, he is he is Mister Adventure, right? Um, adventures spring up uh, uh, like flowers when 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 he comes by. So, uh, so here he comes. Here's Gandalf, right? And he's seeking them. Uh, I guess I don't know what he's got. Something he wants a word with them, right? He's got something to tell them. I don't know what exactly he's going to tell them. Um, but anyway, so this is the first impulse to have Gandalf show up, and then comes the shocking and incredible moment. The revisions, right? Round a turn came a white change to black horse, and on it sat a bundle, or what? Or that is what it looked like. A small change to short man, wrapped entirely in a great black cloak and hood, so that only his eyes peered out, changed to so that his face was entirely shadowed. And so the Black Rider was born. And this has all the... the signs of being a perfectly spontaneous choice. That in this moment, having had the first impulse to say, we need an adventure, let's bring in Gandalf, right? The uh, bringer of adventure. Instead, we uh, we suddenly say, no, 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 wait, it's not Gandalf. It's this mysterious black rider on a black horse whose face is entirely shadowed. We had this element of mystery, right? This, he seems to be picking up on this, this sort of the tone of mystery, Right? I'm not unsure of who it was and the unexpected reveal and it turns out to be Gandalf but no wait actually it's not going to turn out to be Gandalf it's going to turn out to be someone else entirely and we don't know so Matthew exactly that's just what I was thinking Matthew Hershenroder says and yet even with the changes in a way Gandalf is still the bringer of adventure that's the thing I think that delights me more than anything else about this Matthew I absolutely love that yes uh, Gandalf was once again the catalyst of adventure uh, this time to Tolkien directly uh, rather than to the hobbits with whom he interacts um so uh, fascinating stuff. And he was sniffing for them. Like, why Gandalf was sniffing for them? It makes sense, of course. But again, think about that. Think about the way that the Black Rider sniffing is made to make sense later on. The way that that's incorporated into the very essence of wraithdom, right? And yet, originally, the Black Rider only sniffed because Gandalf, for some reason, sniffed, right? Um Really, uh, it smells <laughs> good. Both Kate and Josh at the same time said, smells like hobbits, thinking of Bilbo's comment that it smells like elves in Rivendell. Exactly. Was it even a reference? Maybe? I don't know. All right, so we'll pick up with this next time. Next time we'll start with looking at the Black Riders and uh, what you know where Tolkien went and what he was doing with the Black Riders, and then we will certainly get uh, through Chapter 3 next time when Tolkien goes back and writes what will become uh, The Shadow of the Past. And then, ideally, we're going to move forward. Um, you'll you'll notice that I have uh, I have scheduled uh, gap weeks for us to kind of catch up because I knew that this kind of thing was going to happen. So, uh, um, uh, so so anyway, that'll be that'll be good. 
Thanks, everybody, for bearing with me tonight. Uh, I hope I was sufficiently lucid uh, 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 to kind of hang with here tonight. Um, don't forget, no class next week. Happy holidays, everybody, and I will see you guys in the new year. Don't forget, January 3rd, join me, twitch.tv slash signumu. Uh, we're going to have our first Exploring the Lord of the Rings discussion. Um, so uh, so that'll be fun. So I hope you'll join me for that, and then I'll see you on Wednesday, January 4th for, uh, uh, for our next session here. Um, uh, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, same time, uh, Tomas, as, uh, as this, this is, uh, this is my, uh, my, my standard time. So thanks, everybody. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And I'll see you guys uh, soon in the new year. Thanks, everybody. Bye now.